welcome to the HJ Talks About Abuse podcast, the podcast where we talk about sexual abuse cases in the hope that it will assist listeners in openly discussing topics which have been ignored for too long. This podcast is brought to you by the abuse team at Hugh James. We are lawyers, so we tend to speak about the legal aspects of abuse cases, but we aren't too shy to speak up about the broader issues faced by survivors of sexual abuse too. We hope that you find it interesting, but more than that, if you are a survivor of sexual abuse, we hope that you find our discussion empowering. Hello, my name is Alan Collins. I'm the partner who heads up the abuse team at Hugh James. Welcome to our latest podcast, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you Mark Kavanagh, who is a director at Evident Consulting. We've had Mark on a podcast before, about some time ago. So thanks for joining us, Mark. Hi, Alan. Pleasure to be here. Absolute pleasure. Nice to have you with us. And I think you're in Bangkok at the moment. That's right. Yes. Nice. A bit warmer over here than where you are. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's all rather cool, to say the very least, here at the moment in mid-December or almost (laughs) mid-December. Anyway, so before we get going, I always give the health warning, which is given the subject matters podcast, you might find the content um, distressing, troubling upsetting so if you think you're going to be troubled by this podcast now's the time to tune off go away do something else but otherwise please do stay with us right let's get down to business so to speak and mark is going to talk to us about a training program down in southeast asia it's all about child online safety training and i think mark you and your colleagues have been developing a training program for parents and young people regarding online safety for southeast asian countries so before we get into that perhaps you'd like to tell us a little bit about you and evident consulting thanks alan a little bit about me i've been working in in the field of child protection now for coming up to 20 years, which is kind of scary to say. Yeah, I I trained as a psychologist initially in Australia and and worked in schools with teenagers and, and with younger kids and then found myself in international development. So then the the sort of the last 15 years, I've done work in Southeast Asia, mostly a little bit of work in Africa as well. And and that's looked at programming for child protection. So training social workers, uh, working with communities, working with children, as well as a bunch of research on the same topics. So the, the last few years, I, I was part of a few really big bits of research. And, and that's what I was talking about with you last time, the Disrupting Harm Project, which, you know, it'll probably come up again today because I, I can't shut up about it. It's a major piece of work. 13 countries, $7 million committed by the Global Partnership to End Violence Against Children. And we we learned a lot about how to keep children safe from online child sexual exploitation and abuse. Evident Consulting you know, did a little bit of work with Disrupting Harm, but, but over the last year, we just celebrated our, our one-year anniversary with some cake and some champagne a couple of weeks ago. We helped nice. out. At, yeah, it was good fun. <laughs> I had to find a way to explain to the accountants why I was buying champagne. It's not overly cheap in Bangkok, but I think oh, I managed to. Okay. <laughs> I don't associate Bangkok with champagne somehow. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's all imported from the other side of the world. So it, it, you, you're paying for it in carbon credits, I guess, to, to drink mm. it. But yeah, so we celebrated our one year. We've, we've worked with a, a few non-government organisations and a, few, a couple of grassroots organisations as well on, on some 
some some research in child protection, but also on LGBT advocacy work as well. Yeah, what, what I wanted to talk with you about today was this this project called Swipe Safe, which yeah. is being delivered by Child Fund Australia in a number of Southeast Asian countries. Let's explain what you and your colleagues are actually attempting to do. So some of that research that that's emerging about online safety or online child sexual exploitation and abuse is now really valuable because maybe five years ago, we would say we know there's a risk, we, we expect that children are being abused, we expect that children are being groomed through technology and things like that. We didn't really have good hard data about it. But the last few years, we actually have seen some good evidence emerging. And so what we've been working on here with with Child Fund Australia has been using that data to try and prevent those risks that children are facing from turning into serious harm. So we've been developing different training courses for different audiences. As you said at the beginning, we have some training with kids, with young people themselves. Some parts of the training are also with parents and caregivers and they'll be delivered through community programming. So it's like volunteers and and people already connected with parent groups in the community. And okay. we also we also have a professionals training component as well, where we're working with social workers in, in Southeast Asia and police and some lawyers and, and legal professionals as well, so that they're really across the evidence and across the issues that impact how this sort of abuse is happening. OK, so what have you learned working with the youngsters, the children? I'm not working directly with them. So I've been right. working on the curriculum development. Yeah. Because it sounded, sounded as though what you were doing was actually bottom up rather than top down, if you see what I, I mean. I see what you mean. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, the research that I'm speaking to, and that's what I guess I've been part of, is telling us some really interesting things. I think the, the disrupting harm research, for example, has showed that the risk to children is perhaps not as gender delineated as we expected. Lots of people, when they think about child abuse, expect that girls and young women are at a greater risk. And I think disproportionately, they are at a greater risk. But things like the disrupting harm research is showing that when we're talking about the online environment, the risk to boys may be a lot higher than expected. So that research across those 13 countries, like in lots of instances, there wasn't a marked difference between boys and girls at all in the sorts of risks that they're experiencing. And so when we were asking questions like, has anyone ever offered you money or gifts for sexual content, videos and pictures, or has anyone ever shared your images without your consent, you know, non, non-consensual image sharing, Boys are reporting that at sort of the same rates as girls. So those risks are really interestingly like across the board for children. And and research I'm just speaking about is in the developing world as well. So it's focused in Southeast Asia and in in Southern and East Africa. So really interesting to have that data and be able to work with it. Yes, because without that kind of information, potentially you're fighting blind, aren't you? Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned that you're working on the curriculum. So what does that entail? So, yeah, it's a good question because lots of the the training that perhaps happens for kids and for communities in international development sometimes has a bit of a a pattern to it, you know. So there'll be a, a curriculum developed and there'll be some handouts prepared and 
everybody comes together and, and, and someone sort of stands up at the front and, and, and delivers a lecture. I mean, that's not just in development, that's training all over the world. Yeah. So we tried to do something really different with SwipeSafe. The actual training requires the participants to have a phone. So Child Fund has bought a bunch of relatively cheap smartphones that each participant gets their own phone and we take them through a, a lot of activities. So, for example, one of the things we'll get them to do is to Google themselves and see what shows up. You know, it's a, a fairly yeah. basic thing for you or I to, to think about. But for, for example, a teenager in Timor-Leste or um, a, a parent of two young children in the northern reaches of Vietnam, that's perhaps nothing, something they don't understand or that they've never done before. And when they do that, sometimes things like their social media profiles will show up and they'll be a bit shocked or surprised by the fact that, mm -hmm. wow, like I put my name into the internet and people can find stuff about me like that. Yeah. So the intention of that exercise, isn't, it's not to scare people, but it's to sort of demonstrate some of these principles that, that underpin the swipe safe training. We, we have six key concepts that we say are the, the basis for understanding how to interact with the internet. Everything that is online is potentially public unless you take steps to, to stop that. Everything is more or less permanent. Once it's up there, it's possibly up there forever and outside of your control. You know, the internet's based around this idea that we're all connected. You're in the UK, I'm here in Thailand, and we're able to, to have a conversation. That's something 20 years ago would have well been possible, but been a lot more expensive. We, we also talk about this idea that anonymity can underpin all of these interactions. So you never 100% know for sure who it is that you're talking to or, or who is listening in or who's able to access the, the conversations and the, the interactions that we have. And then the last two concepts are the idea that there's a lot of information online, which is amazing, and we have access to knowledge like never before in human history. But there's also a lot of stuff that's it's legitimate, it's fake, it's, um, it's fraudulent, it's misleading. And assessing the quality or the sources of material is a really important way to engage with it. The last one is about respect as a, a dictating measure for how we engage online. Okay, so that all sounds absolutely brilliant, but how's this going to be rolled out or become part of young people's education in Southeast Asia? Thanks, Alan. That's a, an important question and I think a tough one for international development work. The scope of this project is actually quite massive. So Child Fund are delivering training to large numbers of young people in Timor-Leste, in Indonesia, Cambodia and in Vietnam. There's hopes that we'll be able to stretch the project to additional countries as well. So all of this curriculum that Evidence has been developing, we're also translating and contextualising for those four countries initially. And there's a component to the project that as well as delivering this training, so there'll be, for example, 5,000 young people in Indonesia who will receive this, and I think it's 4,000 in Timor-Leste who will receive this. The staff are also going to use that demonstration of the course to lobby government for inclusion of some of these elements or something like these elements in standard curriculum. So support, for example, the Indonesian government through demonstrating some swipe safe training, that this could be a really cool thing to add into 
provincial, if not national level curriculum. So we go from training 5,000 young people in Indonesia and demonstrating the course to you know, possibly having an impact on millions of children if we're successful with lobbying for these issues, at least, if not the curriculum directly, being incorporated some way in, in schooling. So, you know, perhaps unlike the Western world where, where you and I grew up, there isn't a lot of this online safety training yet happening in mm. schools. There is policy perhaps in place or the, the, the development of policy around child protection and around procedures for you know, bringing devices to school and things like this. But, you know, an integrated understanding of technology across sort of child protection systems is still, still quite far away in, in lots of yeah. places. Yeah. Well, clearly it's a big issue. You know, we've seen recently the Australian Federal Police and UK Police catching and bringing to book abusers in Australia and the UK, accessing children in Southeast Asia online. You know, that's how they, you know, so it's obviously still a, it's a big issue. These um, offenders, you know, they're able to conduct their business from what they perceive to be the safety of their homes, you know. Yeah, we, we talk about online child sexual abuse is is kind of borderless you know that won't be news to you of course but like you've just described offenders operating through technology to take advantage in, in lots of different ways is a it's a massive problem interestingly you know the flip side of that so that's absolutely a big part of the problem but also the research is increasingly showing us that the, the distinction between online and offline abuse is perhaps not as clear as the terminology suggests. Mm-hmm. So often the abuse that's occurring through technology is, it's like an extension of what's happening in real life too. So lots of young people who are suffering these kinds of abuse are suffering at the hands of people in their community, in their, their circle of trust, you know, their, their family, their friends, their other people in the school or, or village. So absolutely there's a risk of, of that, those sort of preferential international offenders and and really organised methods for that as well, whether that's amongst criminals themselves or even criminal organisations. But I'd actually argue that the bigger risk is is at the community level, which is the more, you know, I'm using air quotes, but the more sort of traditional understanding of abuse that you've spent your career working on. It's happening in communities and it's happening amongst people that are trusted and, and often loved by the children, which which brings all of the complications to responding. Yeah. You mentioned Child Fund Australia. I have to confess not having come across them before. Who are they and what do they do? Yeah, it's it's a common response from people. Um, Child Fund is actually really massive, but flies under the radar a lot. So they're they're a non-religious international development agency. It's been around for oh, I think about sixty years. Um, really? Oh. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, kind of operating on the scale of perhaps of Save the Children and and World Vision and others like that. But you know, they don't have great brand recognition actually. So predominantly concentrating on education, child protection and some disaster risk response. As I described, I'm working sort of to the Australia branch of Child Fund, but there is child funds all over the world. There's kind of an alliance of child funds. Actually, this is part of the brand recognition, but they're called different things in different places. So in Italy, the the Child Fund Alliance member is called WeWorld. You you may have heard of them and they have some programming in in some parts of, well, some parts of Africa and and beyond too. Yeah. 
but yeah, really focused focus on child right. protection. Fantastic. As I said, confession, ignorance. I, I hadn't, until you mentioned the name, I hadn't, it didn't mean anything yeah. to me. Sure. Okay, before we wrap up, what's the next step for you with this work? So look, now that the curriculum's more or less drafted, we're still going through a process with the country officers who translate and contextualise and adapt some materials. Like we have some videos with it, some short animations that the children watch on their phones as part of the training. Right. And they'll all be subtitled and, and eventually we'll change the voiceovers as well. So there's still an ongoing process to adapt everything to four languages. But I'll, I'll do some work to support Child Fund, um, but they also have a number of staff now attached to, to sort of the, the training of the trainers. So it'll be working with youth, youth facilitators in all of the countries, preparing them, getting all this equipment together, and then starting to roll out the, the training. And it's, as you, you'd expect, it's a complicated process. It involves engagement with local authorities at schools because they'll be working through schools in some of the, the countries the kids will stay after class to complete, I think, in Vietnam. So all of that stuff gets organised and I'm, I'm hoping to continue working with Child Fund to support the process of that lobbying too as they do their work in country to encourage and support governments to take on these ideas and, and witness what's happening with the training. What's the big message for children and young people when they access this? There, well, there's different messages for different parts of the audience. And I think a key message to this is that open conversation about your time online is going to be the thing that stops risks from becoming harms. And so we want children to feel comfortable and able to ask trusted adults around them for advice on, on what they might be experiencing online. So we know from the research that that's not always the case for a number of reasons. I think the idea of a digital divide plays out where us older folk aren't as across the sort of things that young people are doing online. We, we're not engaged in the same technology. We're not using the same platforms. We don't use it and understand it in the same way. If you understood the life before the internet, then the way you engage with it is quite different to those young people who've grown up with having it around all the time. I think conceptions of privacy are also shifting. Young people see their online engagement not as creating content, but just as like living through the technology. So even the way that we frame the training needs to acknowledge that they don't see it through our eyes. So to answer your question a bit more directly, helping children to understand that the people around them are there to assist them in their journey to be safe, to make sense of the sorts of questions that are, are tough to answer, like, can I trust this person? Or is this okay behaviour? Or would this request be something that I should or shouldn't comply with? And those questions, Alan, are the same questions that kids ask their parents about life offline too. And, and that's the message to the adults with the training. This is not new and scary. This is still the same guidance that adults have been providing to children for generations. It's just that it involves this, this new bunch of tools, you know, phones and platforms and, and things that you might need to learn a bit about in order to continue that guidance. I was sort of thinking about the situation where the young person, the child is in a world where they are dependent on people who are not trustworthy. So a couple of the activities that we work on help young people to identify who they can trust. So we don't make assumptions, for example, that parents are 
the go-to person to talk to. We do exercises where we, we they have to identify at least five people that they'd speak to about something that you know was really sensitive or complex. And often it's an older sibling or a cousin or sometimes it's teachers, although rarely in Southeast Asia because of the sort of very hierarchical structure of education. And different people might be go-tos for different issues. So creating, a, I guess, a suite of potential protective, trusted adults in a child's life is super important for exactly that. I, I kind of get what you're getting at there, exactly that some of the risks to children are coming from people that should be the ones protecting them. Yeah, exactly. Very interesting. We could talk about all of this for ages, but otherwise it will become a, a too long a podcast. So, Mark, very interesting. Thank you very much. Thanks for giving us your time and good luck with it all. Thanks, Alan. It's a pleasure to talk today. Cheers. Listeners, I hope you found the podcast interesting. As always, if you've got any thoughts or comments or suggestions, please do get in touch. So it's goodbye from Mark and it's goodbye from me. Thank you for listening to this episode of HJ Talks About Abuse. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify or your favourite podcast player. If you'd like to speak to us about something you've heard today, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at aboutabuse at hjtalks.co.uk.